As we begin our time in God's Word today, we're going to continue our conversation through the book of Matthew, through the life of Christ. And right now we are right in the middle of his epic teaching, his Sermon on the Mount. And as we get started and as we jump into this this morning, I want to talk about our son Asher a little bit. He happens to be sitting there. I don't know if he'll hear this or not, but that's okay. Hope he's not too embarrassed. But I love our son and I love all things about him. But one of the things I love so much about him is that he will tell the truth even when it hurts him. And this is going to embarrass him a little bit, but even when, like, when something happens, I don't know if you've ever been around a little kid or any kind of kid, and you ask them, like, hey, why did you do that? Or, hey, maybe they make a mistake or something, and you kind of confront them, and maybe they try to hide it. Did anyone try to hide it when they were kids? I did. Um, I hid everything. I was a good little rule follower, but when it hit the fan, I would hide and lie and obscure what I had done. Asher's not like that, and I love him for it. If Asher makes a mistake and you ask him about it, he will tell the truth. I mean, almost to a fault. And it's pretty incredible. When Jesus is teaching us and he's talking to us, he is talking to the people like me who might say one thing on the outside, but on the inside really wrestle with something very different. Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know if you can relate. Uh, Relate to the idea that we can have things put together on the outside, but if we're really honest and we're really open about what's going on on the inside, uh, we find a very different portrait. So one of the things that Jesus is driving at with us today and in this time is, is an authenticity and an honesty with ourselves and with God and with the people around us. That's going to be something that we're going to talk about, especially as we get into a tough subject today. So I kind of want to, I wanted to throw that out there because I just, I want to remind you that as we go through some tough stuff today, that what God is after and what Jesus is trying to get at is not the story you tell yourself about yourself and not the story that you tell other people about yourself, but the real, the real true story, the, 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 the honest Uh, expression of who you are. So we're going to pray and we're going to dive into a hard text today and I hope you can come with me. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and take a breath and get quiet. I'm going to read one of the verses that we're going to go through. We only have a few verses today. And this is going to feel like a gear shift, but I hope it's not. As you're praying and as you're listening, may you listen to God's word today. This is what Jesus says. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want you to think for a moment about your heart today and what's going on there. Some of us are going to connect with this message and this text directly. But for others of us, we're going to have to think a little differently and ask ourselves a tough question about what's going on inside of our heart. What's going on inside your heart? Just breathe. How are you looking at people? Do you see people as objects? Do you see people as people created in the image of God? 
Let me see people. Have you experienced this text? Let's start with just some honesty, some openness, and the quietness of your heart. for some of us to hear, difficult for all of us to apply. God, we ask that you would give us openness in our hearts, God, to tell the truth, not to necessarily anyone out here, but to tell the truth inside, to be able to look at this text about lust and adultery and, and think, well, what am I really, how do I really look at people? How do I really see people? What's going on in my heart? God, would you help us to peel back the layers, maybe the stories that we've told ourselves about ourselves, and be able to sit with the truth and the power that can come in this text. God, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you so much for bringing us together this morning that we could hear your word and be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Tough one today. Let's look at it. Matthew 5, verse 27. We only have like four verses today. That's how, that's how heavy and weighty this is going to be for us. Check it out, verse 27. Jesus is preaching. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, you have heard that it was said. Where? Where did we hear these things that were said that Jesus said we heard were said? Okay, we heard, we heard them said in the Old Testament. We heard them said in the Ten Words, the Ten Commands. We heard them said out loud by Moses as he came down from the mountain. These are God's word and they're kind of etched. They're not kind of, they are etched in stone when Moses brings them down from the mountain. And, and he says this. The strange thing, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, you know, this is a lot like murder. Remember murder we talked about last week. It was a great time. You know, check that out if you need like to look back. Uh, he said, you've heard it was said, don't murder. And we're all like, yay. And then he says, but I tell you, anyone who's ever like thought bad things about someone is guilty. And we go, no, you know, this is very similar. It's very similar. We, we hear, you shall not commit adultery. I don't know if you pull out your list and check it twice and find out who's not here. I mean, you, some of us might be implicated right there at the back, at the, on the front end. But for a lot of us, we hear that, we go, I'm good. I'm good. We're okay, maybe. Are we? Are we okay? This is a lot like murder in that a lot of people hear the first part and they think, ah, I'm good. And they hear the second and they think, ugh, I'm not. Jesus says, but I say to you, he sets himself up as the ultimate interpreter of the word of God. We've talked about this a couple times because it's come up a couple times in this chapter. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he is the prism through which we see the Old Testament and how we interpret it. Remember with murder that Jesus goes on to indict all of us. Here the same thing happens. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not break marriage. Marriage is a sacred relationship and a commitment for the family of God. It is something to cherish and to value. At the very beginning, God looked at our first father and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And marriage came out of that. And family came out of that. And it is this beautiful depiction of what it means to be accepted and loved and cared for and cherished. Because of our brokenness and our weakness, marriage is where we see God work in our hearts 
It's where we see him heal and convict. It's one of the, the most difficult relationships. Because you can run, but you can't hide from your spouse forever. You can try. You can try. Many of us have. But eventually, over time, the truth comes out. The truth about you, the truth about them, and the truth about your relationship together. This is also like murder in the sense that anger, what Jesus was after in the passage right before this, is about control and about dehumanizing people. Lust is the same way. Lust, in the scriptures, we see that it reduces people. It dehumanizes people. Makes them objects. He says, anyone who looks lustfully, and the language here is interesting. We're going to spend some time looking at it. The word here for look isn't glance, okay? This isn't someone walks by and you notice. That's not the kind of looking that Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a passing, he's not talking about a notice, a noticing of someone. He means a lingering with an intent to steal. He means leering. He means staring. There's a way to put this as anyone who looks with the intention of lusting, with the intention of coveting. That is, looking with the intent to burn with desire, or more specifically, to possess. Now, you may hear me talk about that and you may wonder, as I would wonder, so are you trying to soften that and make it mean less than what it means? I don't think so. Because all of us were made in the image of God. We're made to notice beauty. We're made with a sexuality. And I'm going to try to be sensitive with some of the young ones in here, so you're going to have to listen really close. But we're made with that, that desire and that, that, that making on the inside that we would notice, that we would take note of beauty, that we'd even have desire. Jesus is not saying to emasculate or make yourself a eunuch and not have any desire sexually ever. He's not saying that. That's part of how we're made in God's image. Um, some people have taken this text and made it say that. And that hurts people. One, because it's impossible. Because you can do a lot of things with yourself, but you can't make yourself not human. Okay? It, it hurts people to teach that in that way. That this is a suggestion that we would be above or beyond any kind of like sexual impulse. It's not what Jesus is saying here. This language is not about noticing the physical beauty of someone. It isn't even about a passing sexual desire. We have taken the Greek word lust in our English and we have applied it universally to any sort of sexual feeling whatsoever. And this isn't what the word actually means. The word lust in Greek and the word lust historically means desire. And it means specifically a desire to possess, to grant, to take, to have. Now, for us, lust has an explicitly sexual connotation. But Jesus is also talking about more than sex here and not less. He's talking about specifically looking with the desire of possessing the other person or burning with desire, making them an object, and devaluing and dehumanizing them as a person, less than a person. In the beginning, all the way back, God made men and women in the image of God, the scriptures say. And we are all of us made in the likeness of God. This has to do with our consciousness and our creativity, our soul, our purpose. 
And Jesus cares passionately about the dignity of all people. Because all of us were created in the image of God, meant to be loved and valued and cared for. Jesus commands us to not look at anyone as an object. Anyone. For any reason. So when he says that when you look and you, and you covet that person as an object, when you want to have a relationship with that person who is not your spouse, that something is broken, something is mangled, someone is devalued and dehumanized. And Jesus doesn't want that for anyone. For anyone. You know, this looking and this lusting and this devaluing, one of the starkest examples that we can actually look to in the scriptures, and it's an actual real life example of this, is David, King David. And I don't know if you've heard his story or you know about it, but if you've ever heard the phrase King David, King David is the greatest king in Israel's history, which is super, super complicated when you actually read about his life. Really complicated, because he made a lot of mistakes. And one of his biggest mistakes has to do with exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And I want to tell you the story just a little bit. We're not going to put the text up. You can look it up later if you like. And I encourage you to do that. Because it's so important to understanding even this text. David is supposed to be doing a great big job. David is king of Israel. He is supposed to be protecting and defending the family of God. And in his time and in his place, part of that meant actually like perpetuating war which I'm not going to get into that, but that was his job. That was what he was supposed to do as king. And David finds himself not doing his job. He's bored. He's distracted. And this should start to be sounding really familiar to all my brothers out here. He's bored. He's distracted. He's lost his way. And he goes up to the rooftop or, or logs on to whatever's out there. It's the, the parallel is striking here, by the way. Because he didn't have the internet back in those days. And please catch what I'm saying here, right? He goes up to the rooftop and he just looks out at what he can see. And he just kind of looks around. Because he wants to see something to fulfill this thing behind the thing behind the thing, which is to be significant and valued. Because he doesn't feel that as king and he's lost his way as king. And now he's up on a rooftop not doing king things. But instead of doing king things, doing other things. Like looking at ladies who are bathing on rooftops. He's on the roof and he looks at a bathing Bathsheba and he wants her. He wants her. Wants to possess her. And yes, this is about sex, but it's about a lot more than that too. Because it always is about a lot more than that. What this is about, the thing behind the sex, behind the look, behind the desire is this vacuum of significance that David feels. He's bored, he's lonely, he's disaffected, and he's on the roof looking around. He doesn't see her as a, as a person. He sees her as an object and as a distraction. The adultery that he will commit with her, he's married, she's married. It is a betrayal, totally beginning with a betrayal of who he is. And then a denial of who she was. And of course, David doesn't just look with a desire to possess. In his story, we actually see it played out. He acts on it. And he arranges to have her husband killed. 
so that he can have her, possess her. His life unravels as a result. He causes so much pain to everyone. Pain comes to everyone. Comes to the community of people that David was sent to lead, the family of God, and to protect. David is, going, is willing to go as far as murder to get what he wants. The child born out of that adultery will die. Constant conflict will haunt David's kingdom. And you may hear that story, my brothers and sisters, but my brothers specifically... You may hear that and think, I'd never do that. You may, we may hear David's story and see it like this complete caricature of what lust can do. But Jesus is saying, that is the thing we do when we want to own another person in our heart. When we want to possess them in our heart. And it leads to actions of all sorts. And maybe you've never had anyone killed. I surely hope not. Right? But God is saying, Jesus is saying that when we do this, when we want to possess and own and we devalue a person based on just what they look like, their flesh and bone, that we dehumanize ourselves first and them, and we do damage to everyone in the process. This is what Jesus has in mind. Not a passing glance, but a life that is coming unraveled. Because of our desires. Now, for some people, specifically for some men, and you may, ladies, I'll talk to you here in a little bit, and, but keep listening because this is not just for men, this message. But I'm speaking it the way that Jesus spoke, and I'm trying to be faithful to how he taught it, recognizing what he recognized about the human condition. For some people, specifically for men, this may seem like an impossible command. If this verse was set up as a pass-fail for men, which it has been and is continually, it is a fail for most men I've ever known, myself included. But Jesus was a man, like us, our brother, in addition to being our Savior and God's Son. And he lived a complete and a whole and a meaningful life without looking to lust and desire and possess women. Now, if we're going to understand this verse as anything other than just condemnation for us, we're going to have to remember where we've come from and what we've just learned in the same chapter a few verses before. Who are we and who are you? Jesus is speaking to people. And unless you think that he's speaking to people who are innocent, which he's not, because he's speaking to the guilty, He's speaking to the same group of people that he told just a few verses before were the salt of the earth. We're sent to make life taste better for everyone. Not sent as da like David's decisions were poison for everyone around him. He says, you were sent to make everyone's life around you taste better. He said, you are the light of the world, helping others see. He said, you are children of your father in heaven. Your good parent in heaven. You are his kids. He called us blessed and connected and whole. This is not a verse, and Jesus is not saying this just to indict you and leave you to die. If that's how you're feeling, is indicted or convicted. Remember who he called whole at the beginning? Remember the Beatitudes, blessed are the, for they are blank? 
He said, blessed are the pure in heart, the pure in intention. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for the way things should be, looking at the way things are. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn for their sin, in addition to mourning for people that are passed away. He didn't say connected are those of you who are perfect who none of this applies to. He said blessed are you who this does apply to. You see, you may come in here, you may come to faith or your spiritual journey and think, man, I need to get penance. Like I need to be made to feel bad and if I feel bad enough, I'll do the right thing. Does that ever work? It doesn't. It hasn't worked for me. I've tried it with this verse. It doesn't work. You know what does work? You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the kids of God. If this breaks your heart, you are blessed because it breaks your heart. Because it means you're moving towards being whole and connected with God and with other people. That's the thing that can actually work. That's the thing that can actually move us. You know, if you hear this text, there's only a few ways to go. Maybe you're in the minute percentage of men who don't have problems with this. Enjoy your life not having problems with this. I can't relate to you if you don't have problems with this as a guy. Maybe you wrestle with this in an addictive way. And it's threatening to burn your life down. Mourn. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Be pure in intention. Follow Jesus. And then Jesus gives us some incredible advice. Advice that may make you wonder about what I just said about who you are. And about the good news. Okay? What does he have to say? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Which could give us other creative ideas about what he might be saying. Also, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If you've got friends that want to say the Bible is literal in all that it says, I want you to take this verse and I want you to have them show you the hands they don't have and the eyes that they don't have. Because if it's a guy telling you that, he sure better be blind and handless, probably. Unless he's in this like narrow percentage of men that I've ever known that don't struggle with this. Okay? But could Jesus be talking literally here? No. No. Let me say clearly, this guy who believes that the Bible is the word of God, inspired word of God, this passage... I want someone to prove to me this is literal. And to prove it with their empty eye sockets is what I want, to, want them to prove it with. Okay? This is one of the clearest examples of this. And I want to hammer this point home in case you're wondering. Jesus does not mean you should pluck your eyes out and cut off your hands. Now, if you hear that and you're like, you must not be teaching God's word. The door's over there. So, like, that's, if that's going to be a, a deal breaker for us, it's a deal breaker for us. Because I don't see any dudes in here with eye sockets, okay? Or missing limbs. 
But what Jesus is saying, what is the euphemism for the right eye and the right hand? Where is Jesus seated when everything is sorted now and, and forever? He's seated at the right hand of God, right? And when you say someone's your right hand man, he's the one who you trust, who you go to in a pitch. He's the guy that you rely on. The apple of your eye could be the apple of your right eye. It's the thing that you go to. The website that you go to. The person that you look at. The thing that you're counting on to medicate the barren wasteland of your soul. That's the thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, if you have struggle with this, if, you, if you're lusting, looking at with conscious continual desire, wanting to possess, to have that person. Hell is the separation from God and from people. And I call you again, go back to David's story. If you want to look at what, you know that song, heaven is a place on earth, so is hell. And you can see it when you look at David's life, when his life goes off the rails because of his lust. It creates separation in every relationship in his life. It creates brokenness and bitterness in his kingdom. It creates problems with him in his marriages, plural. It's a constant river of poison. Lust is about objectifying bodies, and that separates us from actually connecting with God and from other people. He's saying it's better to lose out on lust. It's better to lose a limb than to sever your connection with God and with other people. That is the point. Jesus is trying to help us think seriously and drastically about what he is saying. It is worth it to lose just about anything. It is worth it. Let me speak a little more clearly here. It is worth it to lose a habit. To not experience the separation between you and God and you and other people. It is worth it to lose any website. Are you tracking with me? It is worth it to lose any app on your phone. It is worth it to lose any relationship with the opposite sex that is going somewhere. That it should not go. It's worth it to lose that. To be healthy. Sometimes we need to lose something in order to gain a healthier view of other people. Jesus will say later, if you want to save your life, if you want to have a healthy life, you need to give up your desires, what you think you need, what you think of as your life. Jesus is saying to be able to look at women as people is worth it to lose just about anything, up to and including your limbs and your eyes. That's how important it is for him. The message is pretty simple. It's actually to look at women as people, which shouldn't be a shocking message at all, but it is. To look at your wives with desire and love them, but not to possess them. The context here is looking at other women, not your wife. But do you think that Jesus is saying it's okay to look at any woman as a possession? Because he's, he's not. And there's ways that you can do this as a husband towards your wife that are dark. 
And they're not filled with loving and caring. Do you think I wasn't going to come after you if you're like in a monogamous, lifelong relationship and we're, I'm faithful to my, op, my, my possession? Jesus comes and cuts under all of that to say that everyone is a person and everyone deserves dignity and love and kindness. Look at your wives with desire and love them. Not as possessions. Look at other women as sisters and mothers and daughters and friends. This is not about, not, this is about a radical new kind of sight. A new kind of embrace of the people around you. Now, ladies in the house, ladies on the podcast, wherever you're at. You may wonder why most of this message has been directed at men and if I'm like leaving you out. This message is directed at men because Jesus directs it at men. And, and that's worth noting that he directs it at men. I am not saying that anything I said here doesn't apply to you. Because it does. Because it does. And in our culture and time and place... Women look at men as objects. And women can look at men as objects in all kinds of different ways. Sexually, yes, definitely. You know, the addiction of porn with women has shot up in the last decade to astronomical levels. Yes, that is a thing. And yes, Jesus' words are for you as much as anyone. Okay? But I preach this message in this way because also this passage can be used to pressure or shame women. And that's not something we do here. I, I've heard people preach this text and say, Now ladies, you need to be mortified and analyze everything you do or say to make sure he doesn't fill in the blank. No. That's not what Jesus says, guys. That's not what he says. And, and you're not going to find that in the scriptures. So I, I, I want to preach it in this way to be very clear that we don't want to do that. However, I do trust my sisters to engage with the text and to find ways that this passage applies to them as wives and as mothers and as sisters and as friends. This isn't... This isn't to say that women don't struggle with the objectification of men. They do. But my brothers and sisters, if you are struggling here, be honest and get help and lose any destructive habit. Lose any destructive relationship. Any destructive fantasy. You may note as I wrap things up here that this passage is also can be used to address specific behaviors that are not found explicitly either in the Bible at large or in this passage specifically. That is on purpose. Again, I trust you and God's spirit to figure out how this text applies to your habits, how it applies to your life and what you do and what you don't do. If you are engaged here and if you're paying attention I hope that it'll be very clear to you that I'm, not, I'm trying not to say more than what Jesus says here, but that this passage absolutely speaks to our hearts and our intentions 
in all that we do as we interact with people. So that's it. Now it's going to, the rubber meets the road in terms of our life and the application of this text to it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to think for just a moment about where we started. And I want you to think for a second about David's story and how you might relate to it. Men, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Ladies, maybe pray for the men in your life for just a minute. Men, listen, please. How are you up on a rooftop just looking at what you can look at? Are there websites, apps, relationships where you're just kind of exploring in ways that are destructive and that can burn your whole life down? Be honest. I'm not in your head and no one else is either. Just take a moment. How did you lose your way? David lost his way when he forgot who he was. Have you forgotten? There's a couple pointed questions here. Do you look at women as objects? Is there anyone you look at as an object? Instead of a person? Maybe just spend a couple minutes, guys. Do some confession. Remember who you are. You weren't made to be the guy on the rooftop just looking at what he can look at. It's not who you are. That is not who you are. Ladies, if you're hearing this and you struggle with that objectification of people, enter into that. Do some confession. Women, if you're hearing my voice and you've been objectified, Wherever you're at with this, let's end with remembering who we are. Remembering that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. 
Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for the way things should be. Blessed are the pure in intention. If you've lost your way, come home. Maybe lastly, before we end, just, is there anything you need to lose? I mean, when you think about the right eye, the right hand, any habit, any website, any app, is there something tangible, very practical that you need to lose that you can follow Jesus? Father, thank you that your son Jesus in, in, in this amazing sermon that he preached thousands of years ago that is just as relevant, just as alive today. That he doesn't begin with this, that he begins with grace, that he begins with love, that he begins with an announcement that we are connected that we are your children. May we accept the message of your son, Jesus, the good news that he makes a way for us to be your kids again. That we don't have to look at anyone else as an object anymore to fulfill some desire of ours. That we don't have to live out of a black hole of selfishness and fear and shame. God, would you equip us with the good news to deal with the bad news? That when I think about my habits, and when I think about how I look at people, that you're not twisting my arm behind my back and shaming us into something but that you invite us. Invite us to be healthy. Invite us to be whole. Invite us to look at all people with dignity, worth, and value. God, would you raise our, resurrect our eyesight, what we do, what we say, how we look at people, and give us a resurrection there that we could be healthy, that we could be whole. God, I wanna pray for all my brothers and sisters if anyone's lost their way, that they would find a way back home in your son Jesus and in his message to us. That if anyone's felt devalued or objectified, that we would experience the good news of your sight. That you look at us as your children. That you see the beauty and the value and the worth and the dignity in all your kids created in your likeness. May we live out of that. God, we thank you for this meal that we're going to enjoy together. We thank you for enjoying the meal together on a table and just be together. We ask that you bless the meal to our bodies, us to your service and your kingdom. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Feel free to hang around and mingle. We're going to set up some tables for the food if you need a jet. Go for it and uh, come back next week. There's also an offering box in the back if you're giving as part of your time with God this week.